You're listening to the Blended Family Podcast, a weekly show with a strong focus on strategies and methods to help your family thrive. Blended families face many difficulties and challenges, which can sometimes drive families apart. The goal of this podcast is to help your blended family grow together through these challenges to create the peaceful and loving home you desire. Here is your host, Melissa. Hi there. You're joining me for episode 116 of the Blended Family Podcast. I'm not going to do any announcements today except to say thank you for all of the wonderful feedback lately. You know, it's crazy. I sit at my computer in front of a microphone and I have no idea who's listening, who's enjoying it, what everyone's thinking. It's kind of lonely. So when you write to me just to tell me how much you're enjoying the show or to tell me that it's helped you or to say that a certain topic was what you needed to hear, well, it motivates me to continue producing this show for you. And it's not about an ego stroke. I'm not like that. I just need to know that what I'm doing is meaningful. This isn't a job I get paid to do, so my payment is received in other ways. Your letters to me feed my soul, and I do read every single one, and I'll never get tired of getting them. So thank you so much. Today, I have an interview for you, and it's a serious topic. We're going to talk about childhood sexual trauma and abuse and how that can stay with you and have an impact on the life you live today. You may not be interested in this topic if it hasn't affected you in any way, but you may know someone who has. So I encourage you to take a listen. Like I said, a very serious topic. You may not want to listen with little ears around. That's all. I hope you find value in today's show, and I look forward to speaking with you next week. I am truly honored today to have joining us Rachel Grant. Rachel is the owner and founder of Rachel Grant Coaching and is a sexual abuse recovery coach. She's also the author of Beyond Surviving, the final stage in recovery from sexual abuse. She works with survivors of childhood sexual abuse who are beyond sick and tired of feeling broken, unfixable, and burdened by the past. She helps them let go of the pain of abuse and finally feel normal. Her program, Beyond Surviving, has been specifically designed to change the way we think about and heal from abuse. Based on her educational training, study of neuroscience, and lessons learned from her own journey, she has successfully used this program since 2007 to help her clients break free from the past and move on with their lives. Rachel holds an MA in counseling psychology. She provides a compassionate and challenging approach for her clients while using coaching as opposed to therapeutic models. She's also a member of San Francisco Coaches and Survivor for CSA. Rachel, welcome to the show. Thank you, Melissa. So happy to be here today. So, Rachel, we talk about all sorts of topics on my show, and overall, my show is about blended families. Now, I've touched on abuse before, but not sexual abuse, and certainly not with a professional like yourself. There are lots of questions I want to get to today, but let's start first with you. I know you have a very personal story, and I'd love for you to share it with my audience so that they can understand more about you. So tell us first how sexual abuse has impacted you in your life. 
Thanks, Melissa. Well, my story really begins at the age of 10. Uh, my grandfather was living with my family, and uh, he, he moved in when I was five. So I spent a lot of time with my grandfather, actually. It was uh, just me there, and uh, my older siblings were kind of off running around doing other things. And so I really enjoyed his company, and we hung out a lot, uh, most of the time on the front porch, kind of watching everybody in the park play across the street, and he he was quite uh, a companion and a friend to me, Melissa. And one day, uh, right around when I turned 10, we were sitting on the front porch, and he began touching my breast. And I thought, uh, maybe he doesn't really realize where he's touching me. I barely had a relationship to those parts of my body at that age, too. So it was just all very awkward and uncomfortable and and unsure. And so, you know, I, I tried to move a little bit, and uh, but his hands returned. And in that moment, I really just froze, as so many survivors do when you're experiencing something that's scary and unsettling and you don't know what to do. So eventually I, I unfroze from that and ran away and ran inside you know, but this person lived in my home. And so there really wasn't anywhere to go at the end of the day. And so the abuse continued and it got worse. And really immediately, as soon as that started, I noticed a big shift in the way that I felt, the way that I thought about myself, about him and that constant fear of what's happening. Why is this happening to me? Did I do something to cause this? Uh, and so eventually my parents found out what was happening. My mom actually just walked by one day and, and noticed what was going on. And my parents were really wonderful, Melissa. They, they got him out of the house right away and, uh, they tried to get me to go to counseling, but I didn't want to do that. <laughs> and, uh, I really wanted to just put my head in the sand, honestly, and, you know, pretend that everything was okay. And, uh, didn't want to talk about this thing that had happened to me. And, and that's really what I did for the next, you know, 10 years or so. I, I did just try to pretend, but it certainly had an impact. I was, very confused about relationships. I had a very um, low sense of self, a lot of negative beliefs about who I was and low self-worth and um, anger and suicidal. And it all kind of came to a head in my 20s when I you know, was trying to be in relationship with someone and just noticed, boy, am I, I'm not equipped for this. I do not know how to do this. I missed all these lessons um, as a result of abuse. And so that really set me on my path to trying to uh, get help and support uh, around this. And eventually at one point I I hit this wall where I felt like a lot of people were talking to me about what I'd experienced and I was starting to become more comfortable about talking about it as well. And, uh, but you know, at a certain point I got tired of just talking about it. I thought, well, you know, I don't really need to just have more insights. I need to understand what to do about these experiences and these obstacles and challenges and, and struggles that I have every day. And, man, Melissa, I was really surprised that a lot of the therapists and groups and whatever I was reading didn't seem to be addressing that part of it. Uh, they were kind of treating this like it was a life sentence. 
And I thought, oh, no, like that can't be the right answer. Surely, surely there has to be a way out of this. I can't live the rest of my life like this, just kind of getting by every day and doing my best to push things away and do things differently. So that's what really launched me off into this, you know, where I am today. And I started, I did my master's in counseling psychology and studied neuroscience and honestly just started using myself as a guinea pig to try to, to figure things out. And, uh, you know, I'm so thankful for where I am today. It's it's a very different existence and, and life that I get to have. And it's certainly a joy to be able to work with other survivors who are on that same journey. Wow. Well, that is an incredible story. And I admire your bravery, too, because I know there are a lot of survivors who, you know, like you said, kind of shut down and don't don't seek out help and don't even want to talk about it and want to bury their head in the sand. So I admire you for not only seeking help yourself, but for also taking your experience and turning it into a situation where you can help others, because that is just amazing. And that was going to be my next question was, you know, what made you decide to do that? But I guess, um, you know, you, you already explained that and that that's just incredible, incredible. So I want to break this down just a little bit. When we talk blended families, there are so many relationships involved. So let's first talk about the adults. After all, that is your specialty, is helping adults to overcome their past abuse. So I imagine there are many adults walking around today who are survivors of sexual abuse, many of whom have never gotten proper help like you did. So what holds people back from seeking the help they need? Perhaps there's an element of shame involved, fear, or maybe not wanting to stir it up. So what would you say is the biggest reason? I think one of the first obstacles that most um, survivors are, are going to deal with in moving from what I, I call the first stage of recovery into the second stage, uh, which is the survivor stage. And, and that really is essentially moving from the place of denial or trying to minimize it or pretend that it wasn't that bad. Oh, it wasn't that big of a deal, right? I'm fine. Sure. Everything's okay. To really stepping into that space of acknowledging the experience, I think one of the first hurdles that we have to overcome is exactly one of the things you mentioned, the fear that it's going to unlock all of these things that we can't handle, we won't know how to cope with, it's going to, you know, unravel all of the maybe nice and neat little, you know, strategies that we've come up with to get by. And, um, and to, and, and certainly there's, you know, there's shame, uh, fear of what people are going to think. What if people find out? And I think for a lot of survivors, there's also this idea that if I don't name it, if I don't talk about it, then maybe it's not real. It didn't, you know, actually happen or, you know, there's a way of kind of trying to, to set it aside and separate from it and, and not knowing what might happen when one begins that journey of integrating a, a, this kind of experience into your identity and, and into your sense of self. All of those can be very overwhelming. And if somebody is kind of in that stage, really what I encourage encourage people to do is spend some time just privately journaling. You know, you have to admit it to yourself before you can admit it to anybody else. And so oftentimes, you know, sitting in on chats or, or looking in on groups to just kind of get a feel for what people are talking about, because as soon as you start identifying, oh, that person struggles in that 
oh, they have that issue. Oh, they can't trust either. It starts to normalize your experience, right? And so you stop feeling like this, I'm the only one who has all these issues. And it it makes talking about it, uh, I think, a little bit easier. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. And and again, with that whole element of shame, because if it were a different type of abuse, you know, people are not as ashamed to talk about it, but there's something when it comes to sexual abuse, people are ashamed. They feel because you always think that that was your fault, especially as a young child, my goodness. So Mm -hmm. yeah. And, and, and the main point here is it's not going to go away. It's just not going to go away. So ignoring it is not the answer. Well, Rachel, as you might imagine, blended families are challenging already. So in what way would this added layer, a parent's history of sexual abuse, affect the family unit? I'm wondering here, what types of issues will crop up with a survivor that can impact a whole family? Hmm. Well, so just on the the most basic level, survivors are often filled with anxiety, dread, depression. So, you know, parenting and being a member of a family is hard enough. And then add on, (laughs) you know, uh, my goodness, waking up every day, just not really wanting to get out of bed or finding yourself being very reactive and easily triggered. You know, the further, you know, into that spectrum is somebody who's having panic attacks or flashbacks. And all these things can be really debilitating. They take so much energy there. It's just draining when you're constantly trying to cope and manage with the effects of abuse. And so that starts to take not just a toll on you, but certainly a toll on your spouse, uh, definitely on your children. Over and over when I'm working with parents, you know, one of the biggest things that that comes up is I know that I'm not modeling healthy coping strategies for my children. Mm. And, you know, this is having a negative impact on them, or I can't have a conversation with them about sex or sexuality, and or even safety and consent, because, you know, I feel so torn about those things myself. Uh, on an extreme level, you know, some some survivors can get into codependent relationships, either with their spouse or with their children, you know, finding that almost like that safe space with children, but that puts such a high demand um, on a little person, right? Um, so the the impact is is far and wide, and um, and I think one of the hardest things for parents is when they do start to see that they're not getting to show up as as their best self. They have all the right intentions. They have all of the desire in the world to be a good mom or dad and, and to create safety for their children and be open and connected, but then, you know, see that they're not showing up that way, really. And I think that's so heartbreaking. And so I'm very glad when I get to work with parents, actually, because a lot of the skills that I teach them not only help them feel better about themselves, feel um, better in their relationships with their family, but are also things they can share with their family members and and teach their children as well. So they even have um, a better start or a way of even processing maybe the hurt or pain that's been there in the time when they weren't healed. Yeah. Well, that's great. And now I know you developed a book and a program called Beyond Surviving and a podcast as well. So I'd love for you to share how all that came to be and tell us exactly what it entails. 
Okay. Well, so, you know, I always, I tried to take the easy way out, honestly, Melissa. <laughs> I was like, okay, here's this other book that mm-hmm. seems really good. Maybe I could just work with that author to kind of adapt a few things that I think, you know, would be important. And I actually wrote to her and said, hey, how about we rewrite your book? <laughs> <laughs> And she said no, obviously. Yeah. I thought, oh, darn it. So I guess I'm going to have to, you know, take a stab at this myself. Okay. And um, and it really was during uh, my journey. of I was in the middle of my master's program. I was starting to study neuroscience, but I was honestly just trying to get myself together. And so I, I kept thinking about it as... Uh, each thing being a problem in need of a solution. So if I can't set boundaries, that's the problem. What's the solution? And so I would read or I'd research or I'd just start to kind of intuitively check in with what seemed to be difficult or hard about that and why that might be and what the solution might be to that. And one of the, I think, hardest things about sexual abuse, all types of abuse, but definitely sexual abuse in particular, is that it impacts so many different areas of your life, from trust to relationship to communication to sense of self to sexuality. And so I I had this feeling, and, and I hear this from my clients a lot as well, I don't know where to start. It feels like this huge mountain of stuff to get through. And so that's really what I wanted to focus on. How do I break this down? How do I I almost approach this like a math problem, right? (laughs) Like if I do this and then this, am I going to get this answer? Yes. Awesome. And then I, you know, would try things out. I'd try out different strategies. I'd draw on what I was learning about how the brain is impacted by trauma to come up with specific exercises or tools And over the course of about, you know, two years of doing that, you know, all of that fundamentally came together into what is now the Beyond Surviving program and is the guidebook that people can, you know, get and work through on their own or is what I use when I'm working with my clients one-on-one or in groups. And that creates the structure and the framework that we can use to walk through each of those areas. And very important to me, Melissa, was that every single time we came up against a problem, the very next question was, so what are we going to do about that? (laughs) So that's, I think, where we start to talk about this third stage of recovery that, you know, is really where I focus my work, moving out of that survivor stage where you're talking about your experience, you're acknowledging your experience, and now you're really wanting to look at how do you move past the experience. Right. So in your line of work, you help others break free from the pain of sexual abuse. So how, I mean, I know you have this program, how how successful is it? And I ask this question because I know there are people out there who are discouraged right now listening to this and maybe they think they will never break free from this. So tell me some of your success stories. Well, so, you know, it really was in many ways just going to be for me. I actually didn't have the intention of using this with anybody else. (laughs) But after I had done this for a while and had kind of gotten myself to a place of where I felt really strong and, and just had turned so many things around, my friends really prompted me to give it a try. And so I did, not knowing if it would would work. I found some really great clients in the beginning days who were willing to be my guinea pigs. And uh, now, 10 years later, my goodness, hundreds of people later, wow. uh, <laughs> I get emotional about that. <laughs> because, I bet. Whew, 
there's just, uh, there's no reason, there's absolutely no reason for anybody who's been harmed by abuse to spend their life struggling and in the pain of it. And so I'll give you a couple examples. One of my clients, uh, he came to me really looking to work on self-esteem and confidence. And he actually said to me in the beginning, you know, I know you do this whole section on relationship and trust and all that, but I'm hoping we'll just skip that because honestly, I just, I think think I'm over it. I don't think any relationship is ever going to work for me. It's just, it's a done deal. And I said, all right, well, let's wait and see. <laughs> and so we did. And uh, he graduated. We, did, we went through that module and we really shifted his beliefs around trust and communication and vulnerability. And uh, he just got married uh, two weeks ago. Wow. That's mm-hmm. amazing. Yeah. Well, do you have another example that you wanted to show? Oh, my gosh, Melissa, I could go on and on and on. That would be our whole show. But okay. yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I think that the, the key thing that is absolutely 100% important to me is that I did not want the work that I do to be yet another thing that somebody spends time, money, or energy on that didn't work. You know, I... I felt that way so much. Like, you know, I just did all this whole thing. And, and yeah, I got maybe one insight from it, but it, it really didn't shift much for me. So I'm very adamant about that, that the program is measurable, that the outcomes are, you know, we can tangible, we can look at actual things that have shifted and changed in your life. And, So anything from a lot of my clients go on to start careers that they never thought they'd be able to start now that they have the confidence and the clarity and actually the energy. That's one of the best things about doing this healing work is all of your energy that's being zapped by just trying to get through the day is freed up so you can do things that you like, you know, spend time with your children or feel more active and engaged and, you know, ready to take on a career or a relationship. And, um, you know, I think one of my, uh, dads actually said to me when we started that he'd become so disconnected with his children and his children were actually scared of him because he would just go into these rages and this anger. And, uh, so we worked, you know, together for eight months and he started not just using the skills with his children. He actually started teaching them too. So they became kind of his coaches too. They would be like, okay, dad, you know, you're supposed to do whatever, you know, skill. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, by the end of the program, he said, you know, Rachel, thank you so much because I I feel like I have my children back and my children don't look at me like I'm dangerous or the enemy anymore. Like we're connected and there's love and warmth and comfort there. So, yeah. Well, I love what you did. You took something that happened to you. You know, I always believe, unfortunately, even when bad things happen, that everything happens for a reason. And you know, you took a traumatic experience and you turned it into your life's work. And I just think that that's admirable. I think it's amazing. Um, I'm going to kind of shift a little bit now. Um, I want to move on to children here. And I know that isn't what you specialize in, but you were a victim as a child. So you know both sides of things here. And all of my listeners have children. So I want to ask you, what are some warning signs to look for if one suspects their child might be sexually abused. And this could be for any parent, whether in a traditional or blended home. It's just that with blended family homes, there are more family members involved, different homes. Mm -hmm. We can't always Mm -hmm. keep track of what goes on in the other homes. And aside from step parents and their extended families, we also add step siblings who could also be abusers, their friends, and it can be a lot to manage. So tell us what are some signs we might look for if we're concerned. 
So let's talk about signs. And then I want to make sure that we also talk about uh, prevention, like what you can be doing, what you can uh, say to children or how you can talk with your children about this topic and, and some ideas around that. Because hopefully the, the better prepared we our children can be, um, the less likely they'll even experience abuse. Or if they are do experience abuse, they'll immediately talk about what experience they had or what happened, um, which can go a long ways towards not even having to look for symptoms or signs because the child is their own best advocate. Right. That being said, uh, you know, one thing to always look out for is a change in uh, just their character or the, their kind of natural state of being. So if you have a child who's generally outgoing or playful, uh, that if they start to become withdrawn or distant, uh, quiet, shut down. The tricky thing is, like in my example, in my life, I was a very outgoing, playful, silly, bubbly, funny little kid, and none of that actually changed. Mm. So that wouldn't have been a sign for my parents. Um, so we have to be careful here because sometimes it's not obvious. And uh, But other things that you can look for are changes in weight, weight gain or weight loss, uh, a lack of interest in activities or sports that they used to love. Generally, if children, uh, depending on age, but if children are saying things like, I don't want to go see X, Y, or Z, be very curious about that. You know, ask more questions, find out what's going on there. Uh, Nightmares are certainly a a key indicator. Uh, Changes in um, potty training, if they're at a certain age, if they start wetting the bed again, uh, or things like that can also be key symptoms and signs to look for. Okay. And did you want to talk about the prevention? Yeah. So really what we what I hope to do as I, I work with organizations like CSA Survivor Force and um, Scan Radio, Bill Murray and Scan Radio, who and National Association of uh, Survivors of Abuse. They are more on the front lines of working with children and prevention. And so I I do team up with them in that work. And one of the things that I I try to really make sure gets out there and that parents begin to learn is that we've got to start talking about this issue like we talk about any other issue. You know, hey, son, daughter, what did you do today at school? What did you learn? And by the way, you know, did anything happen? And it doesn't have to be an every single day kind of question. (laughs) Right, but but like a check-in normalize it, right? And as, you know, the conversation also can't be like a one-time only conversation. You know, when I was, uh, prior to this life, I was a nanny and I also worked in childhood education in elementary schools. And uh, particularly as a nanny, with the, you know, the children from the age of two years old, we would talk about, you know, sexual abuse and we would talk about consent and what is safe touch and what is not safe touch. And what do you do if somebody touches you, even me? And I think for some parents, that's kind of a scary thing to say, but it's absolutely so, so important to include you, to include family members, because not, oh, what's the statistic? We'll just say the majority of abusers are in the family. You know, we teach children all the time about strangers, but that's actually not where the real danger is. It's with teachers and family members and people who are trusted 
And so talking with them about that, and then I I encourage my parents to put it on the calendar like a yearly checklist, just like you take your child to get their hair, you know, their, I mean, their eyes checked once a year or, you know, have a sexual abuse consent talk at the same time every single year, because your what your two-year-old can understand is different from what that child can understand when they're six, when they're eight, when they're 12, when they're 15, when they're 18. So we have to have it be to be a continual dialogue that we engage in. And the more we can normalize it, the more likely a child who experiences abuse will immediately come and disclose what has happened, which means we can prevent, you know, deeper trauma from happening. Yeah, and that's a really good point that you made, that it is usually somebody that is close to them that they trust, which makes it even harder if you haven't had that conversation before. It's more difficult for the child to come out and say, you know, this family member has done this to me because, you know— they don't know how that's going to be received. It's it's much harder, you know, when it's a family member than saying the stranger did this to me, you know, they don't know, especially if it's somebody that you love or a sibling mm-hmm. or anything like that. So what's the next step here? If, if there are signs present and you think or there, your child has come to you and said, I have been touched, I have been sexually abused. What do we do now? How do we help our child so that they don't carry this trauma with them forever? Mm-hmm. Well, the first thing that you're going to want to do is reach out to a social services um, in your area and uh, find an organization in your area. One of my, uh, there are a couple of ones that you can call that are regardless of where you are, like uh, hiddenwaternyc.com. Great organization. One of my favorite things about that organization is that they are actually treating people on all levels. So they treat the survivor, but they also have programs for the family members because that's traumatizing too. When your child is traumatized, you're traumatized. And so there's stuff you're going to need to work through and process through. Uh, They also work with perpetrators and then they work in kind of a broader um, community as well. So, um, you know, reach out to an organization, talk with somebody about what's happened and get some good guidance because uh, you definitely don't want to try to navigate it on your own. Uh, You definitely don't want to try to talk to the person who is the abuser on your own. You've got to bring in reinforcements and get support right away. Okay. And did you say that was hiddenwaternyc.com? That's it. Okay, good. I'm going to add that to the show notes as well. Um, And now I know you have a link that you want to promote today, which is a free nine-page guide. Listeners, you can find that at rachelgrantcoaching.com forward slash checklist. And I will add that to the show notes as well. But Rachel, can you tell us exactly what this is? Yeah, so a little bit here as we were talking today, Melissa, I mentioned the stages of recovery. So one of the things that I've really tried to do for survivors is help them understand two things, where you are in your healing journey, and then based on that, what are the goals for that stage and what kinds of support are necessary at that stage. A lot of times, and so this guide is all about breaking down those three stages, the victim, survivor, and beyond survivor. So this is for anybody who's experienced abuse, and maybe you've been healing, maybe you've been doing some work, but you're not quite sure like exactly where you are, what your next step might be. Or maybe you're earlier on in that process and you're not quite sure what kind of support to seek. And, you know, I think one of the, the, the biggest tragedies and things that upsets me the most as I've been doing this work is, you know, survivors are going to go into situations looking for support and they're going to have the thing that they're maybe most hurt around, the thing that they're struggling with the most. But if you're 
actually earlier on in, a, in your healing journey and somebody comes in and tries to either directly work with that issue or they try to directly work with that issue from the place of like fixing it or resolving it, but you're not there yet, you can re-traumatize mm-hmm. someone. Yeah. So I think one of the best things we can do for ourselves as survivors is understand is be advocates for ourselves. And that's hard. It is hard. So this guide is is really meant to bolster and support survivors and in, in being their own best advocate. So by understanding where you are in the healing journey, what kinds of supports you need as a result of that, you're gonna be better able to seek out, you know, what you need and and not and hopefully avoid, you know, that re-traumatizing or even feeling guilty or bad. You know, that's the hardest part. You know, some survivors end up feeling like what's wrong with me? Why can't this, you know, person is telling me to do this? Why can't I? Well, it's really just that you're not at that stage yet to do that. So, uh, so that's what I've kind of put together for people. So I definitely welcome them to come check that out and I hope it will be of a help to you. Yeah, that sounds like a great resource. So if someone wants to work directly with you or find out more about what you have to offer, uh, what's the best way through the website at rachelgrantcoaching.com? Yeah, they can go there and they can read about me. They can read about the program. And if they'd like to take the next step and explore participating in the program, they can sign up for a Discover Your Genuine Self consultation. That's right there on the website. And then I'll meet with them, you know, for an hour so I can really determine if uh, the Beyond Surviving program would be their best next step. And then if not, I'm always able to point them in the in another direction. Okay, is that consultation free? It is. Wow, that is really incredible. All right. Well, before we go, I want to give you a chance to speak about anything I might have missed, or maybe you have some words of advice for my listeners. Well, so just to to quickly name for anybody who's listening who is a survivor, you know, I know how it can feel some days like there's no way out of this thing and it can feel overwhelming. It can feel like such a burden. And uh, I'm just here to let you know that you do not have to feel broken for the rest of your life. You do not have to deal with the pain of this for the rest of your life. There truly is a path out of that and towards really having a life that you enjoy that you wake up to and feel good about. So if I can be of any support to you in that, please don't hesitate to reach out. And uh, I just wish you all the best in your healing. Well, that's great advice. And I really enjoyed talking with you today. And I want to thank you on behalf of every sexual abuse survivor out there for giving this a voice and for helping others overcome it so that they can enjoy their lives again. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Melissa. Listeners, if you have not been directly affected by sexual abuse, you may know someone who has. Please share the show with those who could use this help. Reach out to Rachel by visiting her website or listening to her podcast, and I will have all of her links in the show notes for you. Thank you for listening today. I know it's a heavy topic, but it is an important one, and I will be back next week with another show. Have a great week, everyone. Bye. You have been listening to the Blended Family Podcast. For more information, please visit the website at blendedfamilypodcast.com. Remember, to create the peaceful home you desire, all you need is love.